1: Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself, Matt Lane, Craig Stout all get together to talk about last week's game, look ahead to next week's opponent. Kind of doing some things differently here this week. Uh, Normally, we kind of split it up into segments, but Matt and Craig are already
0: here. Say hello, fellas. Hello. Hello. I just love Kent's like intro voice. It's completely different than how the rest of the pod goes, and it's so much more noticeable when we're doing it live. He gets that deep bellow as he welcomes everybody. It's amazing,
2: and he's per. And he's excited, and he's ready to talk about the Chiefs before we start talking about Bob Sutton, and everybody just takes it down about fourteen notches.
0: Ooh. Oh, we're we'll, we'll today get- it might go up fourteen notches.
1: <laughs> we we'll get to Bob in a minute we will get to bob in a minute i guys i've got a treat for you because we've been we've been ranting about bob sutton and i've found a way to creatively i think get every single issue we have with bob sutton in impossible in the mailbag through all these fantastic bob sutton anger questions so we'll get there but um we probably need to talk about green hunt not just completely changing to a much different conversation. Um, we, we'll we talk about maybe some of the on-field in the future stuff, but uh, real quick, just want to ask you guys, Matt, first, thoughts on on what's happened since we've recorded last?
0: Essentially, bad stuff happened. Uh, he had a chance to come clean, it sounds like, multiple times to the Chiefs. He kind of hid it away, wasn't completely upfront and honest with him. And the more time that passes, it sounds like there's just a few more and more questionable things that may be coming out. So it was just the right time to move on for the Chiefs, given what's happened. I don't want to say that the Chiefs were, they obviously didn't know the whole story at the beginning of it. So once the video came out, they knew that they had been lied to. I think that kind of just broke through Andy's trust and that was just the end of the line. So I have no problems with it. And, again, it sounds like the story is getting worse and worse as we go on. My biggest takeaway, though, whoever Kareem Hunt's PR team is needs to not get any more business. That interview Sunday morning was not good. Whoever prepared him for that and advised him that that was a good idea, they can't get any more business. Like That was just unbelievably bad for him.
2: Yeah, that was about the worst thing that he could have done at that point. It's still so fresh in people's minds. Like, I mean, there are people probably that hadn't even seen the video yet, and he's out there trying to talk about it and deny things, and he just didn't look good. Matt hit basically everything that I, I feel about it as well. He he just hit it from them, and it is very apparent that he has an alcohol and aggression problem just based on the multitude of incidents that has happened this offseason. You know, uh, they they felt like they needed to move on, and they did not delay at all moving on.
1: Yeah, it seemed like there was a strong correlation between alcohol and violence. Uh, so it seems like there's a couple, you know, deep deep seated er- issues there that they've really got to kind of address before you even start talking about, you know, what he does on the field. I do commend the Chiefs for moving on. Um, it was not easy. Uh, it, it was a, it was weird to process, but. Um, I do think that they did the right thing. Let's talk about just outlook for the future. So I wanted to ask you guys real quick, do you, the Chiefs, invest anything of significance into the running back position in 2019 as far as free agency is concerned?
0: So I think the rest of the year is pretty much a job interview for Damian Williams and Spencer Ware. Even if you want to draft somebody next year early, if that's your plan, I still think you're going to bring back one of those two, for the simple fact that they are already good third down running backs. They're going to know the system and have a little bit of trust from the team. So one of them's coming back. It may be who just ever is willing to sign cheaper or whoever plays better down the stretch here. But outside that, I wouldn't be looking for a made. I wouldn't be looking for a major move at any point because even neither one of those guys is a big signing but I don't think they're going to go outside of somebody already on the team in free agency.
2: Yeah, I don't think so either. I know people have brought up uh, Le'Veon Bell, Mark Ingram. Those guys are going to be pricey. They're they're going to command a fairly high sum of money. The Chiefs have already invested a good amount into this. Uh, they've got some cheap pieces on this offense. I don't think they need to be going out and spending a bunch of money on a running back. I just don't think that free agency is going to be the spot where they're going to do spend significant capital on that position.
1: Yeah. I, I I agree. Um, I just, I don't, there's not really a scenario where I want to either. Like I'm not interested in spending money on Le'Veon Bell. I don't like the risk. I don't like, um, you know, I, I, think you can cobble together production from the running back position. And, uh, that's just, I, I, I'm kind of against spending big assets um, on a running back. Okay, so I asked both of you, and I pulled one myself, to uh, pick some uh, running back targets because we got, in the draft that is, because I got this question from at Kenny with the Coke. Uh, favorite running backs for the Chiefs to target in the draft. So um, I gave you guys, I asked you guys to both identify a running back that would probably fall uh, in the day late day two to day three range, because I think we're all in agreement that you don't want the Chiefs investing a big asset, any any of the first or second round picks, most likely in a running back, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's kind of the approach that I think we're all kind of in agreement with here is probably round three at the earliest is when we would want to kind of target a running back, and so I'll just kick it off. Uh, Chief Bearcat, our guy, Chief Bearcat, he's gonna love me for this. Uh, a guy I'm interested in is Daryl Henderson from Memphis. Uh, I think he's leading the, the league or leading the uh NCAA in yards per carry right now. Um, real small, compact build, but he's, he's pretty built for being you know 5'9, I think he's about 5'9, 200 pounds. Um, I think, you know, I don't think he's a guy that you can, you can turn around and hand the ball to, you know, 25 times a game, but he's probably a 15 to 20 carry guy, but, um, powerful, dense, explosive, um, decisive. He wants to be a north-south runner, and he wants to he he wants to initiate contact. Like he's physical. You don't want to be uh, on the on the receiving end of one one of his uh, runs. I saw him carry like four guys on a run one time. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, Craig, you have somebody.
2: Yeah, I do. The uh, guy that I'm looking at is a guy that's got a ton of talent. His name is Rodney Anderson. He's out of Oklahoma. He's got great size for the for the NFL. He's 6'1", 220. He's got awesome speed. He catches the ball well. He runs well with the ball in space. Takes a couple steps to get up to full speed, but once he gets up to full speed, he, he was dusting off guys like Roquan Smith when they played in the bowl game last year. He's a guy that is going to be able to play at an NFL level, but he's hurt all the time. (laughs) He broke his leg his freshman year. He missed the next year with a neck injury, returned for his redshirt sophomore year. That was last year. Played or missed the first five games, played the next seven and rushed for over a thousand yards was fantastic for Oklahoma. Then this year he goes out and he tears his ACL and so he's out again, but he has entered in the draft. Those injury concerns are probably gonna drop him to a day two, maybe early day three range, just if people if his medicals don't check out all the way. He's a guy that you can roll the dice on knowing that he's got the blend to be. An NFL running back if he can stay healthy.
0: So, my favorite running back is David Montgomery, but given the thing of we're looking for a third or later rounder, I don't think he's going to be there. That's kind of where I mentioned. Yeah, and he's very similar to Cream Hunt. I know you don't want to throw comps to guys that are that good, but he has a similar running style. He's not an elite athlete or anything, but just the way he plays is similar to Cream Hunt. So that would be my favorite guy, but I, just, I don't think that's a position the Chiefs are looking in. And realistically, I'm kind of going different than the other two guys here. I'm looking at a later day three guy because I'm just not sold yet that the Chiefs need to panic pick a running back. Let's see, give them a few more weeks, see what they have with these guys, see what the offense looks like when you don't have an elite running back, because at the end of the day, the Chiefs are still not running the ball more than 20 times, except for like every five games so far this year, so I don't know what kind of investment they're going to want to put into the position. So the guy I looked at was Olamide Zacchaeus from Virginia. He actually plays slot wide receiver for them. But he was a running back in high school. He got on the team as a running back. And he's carried the ball about 80, 90 times throughout his career. So he's very small for a receiver. He's about five foot eight, one 190 pounds listed. So he's probably even smaller than that. So he's a little guy. And he's not going to be a full-time running back by any stretch of the imagination. But what I was looking for is somebody that's more in that Tariq Cohen mold. He's going to be getting maybe five, six carries a game, but you're looking more for his ability in the passing game and not just out of the backfield, but the ability to actually split them out wide, run real routes. They've seen Kareem Hunt get out wide. He'll do it with Spencer where every now and then, but the guys run pretty limited route trees from that point. With like, Zaccheaus, you could put him in the backfield to start the play, and a defense has to respect him as a running back based on his ability in the open field. He's electric and dynamic, super quick and shifty. He may not have the best top-end speed just given the height. That usually means shorter stride lengths, but he can make guys miss in the open field, and that's pretty much how Virginia's used him. They use him on screens, short, quick passes, and then just let him be a running back once he gets the ball at or just barely past the line of scrimmage. So put him on this team, let him start out in the backfield, motion him out wide, keep him in there, whatever you want to do. It's just gonna add a little bit of another layer to the Chiefs game that they don't have yet, while you're still letting Darrell Williams or Spencer Ware, whoever they bring back next year, take most of the carries.
1: Well if it's tight, if it's Tariq Cohen, so he's basically QB two as well, right?
0: Yeah, if only we had Anthony Miller for him to throw to who's wide receiver <laughs> one, he'd be set. Oh my
1: gosh, you'd be, you would be dead. Like you would just be like Completely dead if that happens. Uh, We'll be right back after this. We're going to jump right into the Nerd Squad mailbag right after this. And it's time to talk about your guys' questions. You sent in a bunch of different ones, but there was a very interesting trend that I felt would be appropriate for us to just address right off the bat because a lot of the angst and frustration in our messages – uh, can be manifested in the first few questions here, guys. Um, and I know <laughs> I I think you're going to have really interesting answers for these. We may never get off this podcast. Uh, they're all Bob Sutton anger related. So um, we'll just start with this. Chief Bearcat asks our guy, uh, Chief Bearcat, I go into severe depression and have strong anger every time I see Bob Sutton. How do I deal with this? Bearcat, the answer is you talk through it. So there's a thread, there's a theme here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and just jump into all of these. At Joe Gibson 41 asks, does this defensive scheme lend itself to constant mismatches, i.e. the matchup of Hitchens on Cook? This isn't a good look, Craig. Yeah, no,
2: really bad look. I wouldn't say necessarily the defensive scheme lends itself to constant mismatches but there are some definite situational boneheaded plays like that like why first of all is bob sutton trying to run a tampa 2 defense with anthony hitchens That guy should not be running the pole. He should not be playing in that position. He's not rangy enough. He's not good enough in coverage. He doesn't understand route distribution. That guy shouldn't be playing that role. That's not Anthony Hitchens' fault. That's Bob Sutton's fault for positioning him in that spot. Teams recognize that, and teams attack that. Teams attack Ron Parker in cover two defenses because he doesn't understand it. Teams attack Orlando Scandrick because he doesn't get enough depth on his drops. The the scheme isn't necessarily the problem. it's just that Bob uses it so terribly at times that it makes it seem like the scheme's always the problem
0: and that's the big issue is the scheme isn't constant, it does change, and it's not i mean it's not static at all. The problem is Bob uses it in such poor times and against bad alignments and personnel packages. It's crazy how many times that you see an offense, especially one that has seen a Bob Sutton defense before, get them in such an obvious mismatch, such as Hitchens dropping down the middle of the field on this. There was nobody else that was going to be in position to stop Jared Cook for this touchdown besides Anthony Hitchens. The Raiders knew that when they drew this play up. You can watch Derek Carr. That's where the ball was going no matter what was going to happen. And It's just, it's simple. Sutton's had the same general defense for years now. Yes, he's changed a few things, but the staples are still there. Def- or offenses can manipulate him into doing what they want him to do, and he's going to keep doing it. On top of that, when he finds success, more often than not, it's because one of his better players are just making a good play rather than he's putting somebody in the right position to make a big play. So whether it's Ron Parker getting attacked in man coverage over and over again by whatever tight end we're playing that week, whether it's Steven Nelson getting lost on a deep zone because he just simply doesn't understand what zone responsibility he has <laughs> on that play, or Anthony Hitchens having to actually cover somebody, it just simply doesn't work because an offense can very much manipulate him into these certain calls and tags based on what they do at the line of scrimmage
1: which is why Breland speaks, uh, gets stuck in coverage every now and then Uh, at D sinister one. This is one of my favorite questions we've (laughs) ever got. How many players on defense don't belong in the national football league?
0: (laughs) So realistically, any player starting for an NFL team probably belongs in the league. That is until you come to Ron Parker, who if the Chiefs did not re-sign this man, he has one other team that would be looking at him right now, and that would have been the Falcons just because he was there in the offseason and they suffered like three safety uh, injuries. No, post-injuries. Maddie,
1: it, no, Maddie, it would have been the Atlanta Legends of the AAF. <laughs> hey, don't you be talking bad about the AAF.
0: <laughs> yeah. But besides that... Hey, I mean, let's and, go Apollos. I'm getting us back on track, okay? You're not going to disrupt my angry Bob oh. ranting can't? Oh,
1: you're okay? the one getting us on track now, Matty. Yes, okay. Because we
0: have Bob Sutton bashing to do, unfortunately, but it has to be done. Here's the thing. The rest of the players on this team, most of them probably wouldn't be starters on a lot of other teams. We got to be real. There's some great playmakers, but the majority of the defense is role players. When you have a bunch of role players, it's up to your defensive coordinator to make them look better. We just discussed in ways that's not happening. The only player that doesn't really belong in the NFL is, like I said, Ron Parker. And besides that, I mean, you could argue somebody like Reggie Ragland, who should be on a team, but his role in an NFL team is dwindling. And you even see that with the Chiefs. It's just the team isn't a lack of talent. It's not a talent void like somebody like the Raiders. It's just they're not good enough to play in the way they're being asked to play. And it makes everybody look worse.
2: Yeah, uh, there's not very many guys that uh, teams would take off of this defense and would be starters for them. D. Ford, definitely. Justin Houston for most teams. Chris Jones, absolutely. But then after that, we're starting to get into Kendall Fuller, maybe. Steven Nelson, maybe. Orlando Skandrick, probably not. Reggie Ragland, probably not. And the way Anthony Hitchens has played this year, probably not as well. And none of the chief safeties that have played this year really would command a starting spot anywhere else. It's just not talent-filled, but not devoid, like Matt said. And so, yeah, I I do think that Bob is just not implementing these guys as well. Matt said the other day, he, he phrased it perfectly, go look at what the Colts have on defense right now. If you look at their depth chart and the guys that they have, they have a much much less talent than the Chiefs have on defense. And that's after me just saying that. They've got a bunch of guys that wouldn't make this roster, and they're better than the Chiefs on defense. So it's about the defensive coordinator putting guys in the right spots to succeed.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. I really don't have anything else to add on that. Here's a fun question, though, Uh,
0: real quick. Who's the fifth best defensive player for the Chiefs that's played this year? The first four I think is pretty easy. Give me the fifth one.
1: So, okay, so you're Chris Jones, D Ford, Justin Houston, Kendall Fuller. Yep,
0: easy four, I think. I don't even think it's a competition. Okay. But your fifth one. Who is this? It?
1: is a good question. Oh. Steven Nelson. This is number
0: five. It's this isn't your probably, eighth probably, uh, or ninth. This is your fifth best defensive player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: Steven Nelson's probably the biggest.
0: I'm actually going to go Alan Bailey. He's oh, more that's of a part time yeah. player, but I think Bailey's had a very good year. And same thing, going back to the same question he wouldn't be a starter on most teams. I'd say about half the teams, but every team would take Alan Bailey as a contributor and find a way to make him play. So the and same thing with Steven Nelson. I don't think he's going to be a top two corner on very many teams, but as a nickel and a guy to work in for sure. But this is a guy that's your fifth best player. Is a guy you're talking about that about half the league wouldn't start.
1: Right. No, that's, <laughs> that's, rough. <laughs> that's rough. That's depressing. That's depressing, but, it, but it, you're probably right. Um, At AZWids4 asks, Murray and Parker both can't tackle or cover. Two things you probably need from a safety. Uh, Is there a reason why Jordan Lucas does not play? Am I missing something here? AZWids4,
2: no. No, you're not. You're missing nothing. (laughs) Jordan Lucas should be playing on this football team right now. These guys are terrible. Bob Sutton has favorites he likes to play. They're security blankets. They're guys that, as we discussed yesterday, Matt actually brought up this point yesterday, that they're guys that understand the scheme. So even if they screw up, they know what they did wrong. Jordan Lucas may not have known what he did wrong, but he's shown superior range, superior ability, a superior football sound game, and he can't get on the field because he quote unquote doesn't know the system or isn't ready yet or whatever the case may be. Nobody watching these chief safeties right now can look at any of them and think, oh, these guys are ready and should be playing a hundred percent of the snaps. They're not. Jordan Lucas should absolutely be on the field.
0: 100%. And yeah, we talked about this yesterday and we were trying to workshop reasons that you could keep some guys off the field the way they have. And the only thing that we could come up with is like Craig said Sutton must trust guys that he believes in. Like, he believes in certain guys to execute the defense the way it's called. So when they get back on the sideline on the whiteboard, they're like, oh, yeah, I needed to be here, and that's why I got beat. The problem is this happens to Ron Parker, Eric Murray, and Daniel Sorensen three, four, five times a half. Not a game, not a year, a half. These guys are just making blatant mistakes. But I think the feeling has to be that they can come over and tell you what they did wrong and why they're wrong maybe talk about versus that specific route combination or against this alignment they needed to do x y or z thing is they either can't do it when the game starts or they just don't have the physical ability to jordan lucas does he's out here he got benched for stumbling for trying trying to make an interception that he made a good read on and then he slid off of a tackle that he was a little bit late on that led to a touchdown he was benched he's never been seen from again How many times do we have to watch Ron Parker skip backwards down the field or go run into a wide receiver blocking the other direction from a run or blow a coverage or get beat by the super speedy Jared Cook on a crossing route before he's held accountable for his very bad play? How many times does Eric Murray have to shoot into a backfield and just get his feet stuck in cement or get lost back in coverage or watch Daniel Sorensen do the same thing that Jordan Lucas did that got him benched? These guys can do whatever they want on the field, and it doesn't matter to Sutton because he believes in their mental ability to process the game. It doesn't matter if they can't execute on that mental ability, and it's the most maddening thing I have ever seen. This safety play for the Chiefs in this game was hands down the worst safety play I saw this past weekend, and that includes watching the Oklahoma Sooners safeties play. And if anybody has watched Oklahoma this year, their defense consists of a high school football team at best, not even a good one, where like a triple a high school football team (laughs) something awful and our safety play is worse because these guys literally ron parker doesn't care to try half the time and when he does try he's bad Sorensen is clearly not up to his full speed so you're taking away a guy that's biggest attribute was his athleticism and now he's just this player that's just kind of out there he's bland and still making mistakes and that pretty much defines eric murray's career for the most part
1: Whew. (laughs) <laughs> that was that was you didn't even breathe i don't think you didn't even no, stopped for a breath that was but awesome it was, when, when you were it was typing impressive. that in the it chat is,
2: last night i kind of pictured that that's how it was just constant no breaths all that through. yeah
0: and if my voice wasn't going it would be a lot louder with a couple table bangs but i have a child <laughs> sleeping a wife sleeping so we had to just keep it pretty low mellow but yeah and i'm sure there's more to come Matt, there's more Sutton questions it's coming
1: Matt has this disease where, like, every single thought in his head has to get out. Yes. Like, it's like, or he has an aneurysm. Like, literally, like, you know, like, if you ask him what's in his protein shake, he's going to tell you a story on where don't, he got the peanut butter and how no, he got no, it no, and no. what kind of peanut butter. <laughs> Do you
0: want the recipe okay, for what at, uh, protein shake I had before no, this podcast? Oh, God.
1: I, no, no, no. I, I don't want to ever drink a protein shake again. Why not Twitter just drink DMs. a milkshake? <laughs> at KJH3172. Inside linebacker. It's a disaster. Watch the Cowboys game Thursday and it's like they're in a different league than our guys speed-wise. It wasn't even a question, it was more a comment, but this is perfect. No,
0: it's 100% true. And that's what happens when you have two strong inside linebackers on your team that play a lot of snaps. We took the Cowboys slow linebacker. Like, I don't think that registered (laughs) to people this offseason. We actively (laughs) took the slow guy that they let go so they could bring in, in a first round, a faster, better guy. Like we got their strong side linebacker. Yes, he played middle linebacker for them when Sean Lee was half gone, like he is most years. We brought him in. We paid him like he was going to be the best linebacker in the league almost. And then he's a strong side linebacker. That's what he is. Maybe it's a first-year learning curve for him. Maybe this is what he is. And we just got a little too into some intangible stuff with a guy that's maybe smart in the, off the field he plays hard, he plays physical, but he's not a sideline-to-sideline side line linebacker. The Cowboys obviously knew that, that's why they didn't pay him and why they drafted again in the first <laughs> round they drafted one. They now have two linebackers that can play sideline-to-sideline, side one of which played with them, one of which they drafted to replace him. It's it's pretty obvious that they got two better linebackers and they let the not-as-good one go, and it seems like it went over the Chiefs' head when that happened. I will say Dorian O'Daniel is at least as fast as those guys, even if he doesn't always know what he's doing. So we got that going for us, maybe. <laughs> yeah,
2: Dor- Dorian O'Daniel is the only guy that can keep up with either one of those Cowboys linebackers. And we we love both of those Cowboys linebackers for reference. Um, it-, it comes back to not putting your guys in the best chance to succeed. Like from, from a Bob Sutton standpoint, you look at Anthony Hitchens and you bring him in. He does not scream weak side inside linebacker. He does not scream that type of player. He's just not. He's not that type of guy. He's better suited for the strong side role, which you already had Reggie Ragland. Now, Bob Sutton maybe isn't the guy who is responsible for the personnel, but then why didn't we see more Dorian O'Daniel early? Why didn't we see Terrence Smith a little earlier? I, I hate to shudder to say that, Matt. Please don't kill me. But honestly, kicking him over to strong side inside linebacker may have been the better thing early on. And then on top of that, there's just no accountability. The the safeties and the inside linebackers, these guys screw up all the time. And yet their spots are never in jeopardy. Ever, ever, ever. They are Always allowed to go back out there on the field, do the things that they're doing, and you don't ever see them come off the field getting in guys' faces, having other guys get in their faces, really taking responsibility, being accountable. That comes from the top. They, they brought in all these tough guys to try and toughen up the defense. They're still just as soft as the old dude running them right now.
1: So... I was thinking about this while you guys were talking. The Chiefs tried to trade for Reggie, Reggie Ragland last year. That was one of the first calls Brett Veach made. So that didn't work out. They, they couldn't get him. So then they moved on to Reggie Ragland. And now they have them both here. And I think about that. And I also think about trying to play Breland Speaks at an at edge position. And I just... I don't understand where the disconnect is between personnel and and play caller, right? Like, there's there, I something off here. What is it? What why did they believe that these slow, big, unathletic guys are going to help solve their problems in a league that is consistently becoming more athletic and and trying to 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 play in space. Like, what is the disconnect here?
0: It's kind of funny because offensively, they seem to realize that you don't need big guys and you need speed. But on the defensive side, like you said, everybody they're bringing in is bigger, more physical and more geared to stop the run. And maybe it's because they saw that as the biggest weakness, but there's still a massive disconnect in our defense's team speed and what they're up against every single week. So whether it's a Veach thing, an Andy Reid thing, maybe it is a Bob Sutton thing. I don't know who's getting, you know, all the input into these decisions. But yeah, they're building a defense, it seems like, that would have been good 15 years ago. Good might even be a stretch. just would be better 15 <laughs> yeah. years ago. And they're completely ignoring how defenses work now. Now I will say, to the Chiefs' credit, they had been running, you know, the three safety kind of dime linebacker look a little bit longer than a lot of teams, and without Eric Berry, again, what are you going to do? Put Ron Parker in the box or Eric Murray? Or they didn't have Daniel Sorensen until recently, but we saw that failed experiment last year with him in the box. So it's not like they've had an option without Eric Berry to play the safeties again that they usually do. But, I mean, for the most part, it's still coming down to the fact that somebody wants these big, strong, physical guys <clears throat> Excuse me, that are not playing that big or strong or physical and then are also being taken advantage of with speed.
2: Yeah, they brought in a bunch of guys to fix the run game and the run game is the worst that it's ever been under Bob Sutton who has never really fielded good run defenses in his time here. You know, he hasn't really cared about you know the, the opposition's ability to run the clock because typically the Chiefs have been up and protecting a lead, you know, if they want to run the clock and let, you know, more time pass, that's fine. The Chiefs offense was trying to do that anyway. This year when teams don't want to be running against us because they're up so big. The you know conventional wisdom go out goes out the window. A lot of these teams are just going ahead and running on us anyway because they can. Raiders got down two scores and just kept running the ball, kept moving the ball down the field because these big slow personnel couldn't keep up with even their poor, untalented offense. It's it's just it's ridiculous. There's a giant disconnect. I don't know why.
1: The Chiefs made an overcorrection that didn't correct anything. That's what happened, and that's where we're at right now. Uh, at Chiefs Kingdom thirteen, hypothetically, if Bob Sutton were to be fired this week, lol, I know not happening. Uh, who would slide into the D coordinator interim D coordinator role? Uh, probably like a hard case of nepotism, and Britt Reed is the guy. just guessing
0: leave turn your podcast off
1: I'm I'm fixing
2: this Matt I'm I believe Matt and I are probably going to have the same answer here it's not going to happen that's why I made a joke because I know where it's going (laughs) I know where this is going Mike Smith the only coach that's getting something out of his players this year he has been phenomenal with the outside linebackers give that guy the defensive coordinator job he knows how to prepare those guys they talk about his preparation constantly and how he gets them ready for each game i want that out of my defensive coordinator
0: i do think that mike smith would be the correct choice i think if this did happen though i'm leaning towards maybe al harris who's been here a little longer probably has a little bit better feel for some of the guys outside of just like his positional group I would agree that Mike Smith is 100% the guy that I want, but I have heard good things about Al Harris in terms of being in the room, teaching guys, and understanding stuff, motivating people. So he would kind of be the guy that I would lean towards as an in-house interim defensive coordinator immediately.
1: I wonder if uh, Ron Parker would still be on the field if Al Harris was calling the plays, but I digress. Uh, At end dog 7 uh, we're actually moving on from the... Bob. Is Hold on, is there any other Bob uh, fumes that you need to get out?
0: I think I got out most of mine at this point in time. I mean, really, it boils down to this. Bob Sutton's message is old, it's tired. The veterans on the team that have been here for years, Justin Houston, Ron Parker, simply don't care every single game. You can watch them play, and there's games right. where they clearly don't care. That's up to Bob to go correct, but the problem is... If your veterans don't believe in your correction, then why are your young guys? Oh, something else we talked about the other day. Here it is. If you're a young guy on this team, say you're Jordan Lucas, say you're Xavier Williams, or even Dorian O'Daniel earlier this year, what's your incentive to bust your butt and try as hard as you can to get better, knowing that you're more talented and you're still not going to see the field? Like what incentive is there for Jordan Lucas to practice his butt off every single day in practice right now, knowing that he's behind lesser players that are playing worse than him because he has the they have the trust of the defensive coordinator. That's not how you foster a good competitive team in any way, shape, or form.
2: It's and that's part of the reason why they are the way that they are, I think. I there they're just no accountability. Like I said earlier, you don't have anybody holding their feet to the fire. You don't have anybody that's necessarily trying to integrate these these rangier, more athletic, faster players when they're playing against these other teams and trying to get the best matchups and everything like that. So why try other than the fact of your own personal pride and want to be out there on the field and put the best performance that you can as a player on the field. But how far does that go? Are those guys already, were they looking ahead to 2019 and 2020 in week three because they realized that they weren't going to get on the field? I mean, is is it that bad? (laughs) So uh, they it, something needs to change. I think they need to make that move this offseason uh, regardless of the way this year finishes.
1: Uh moving on from Bob Sutton and the defense. Uh at dog 7, should we be worried about the lack of accuracy from Mahomes's hat on some of these passes? Uh I think if it was any other defense, at least 4 of those passes would have been picked. I don't think So, okay, so Mahomes, I think, had some inconsistency with his base at times on some of these easy throws. It looked like he babied a few. I'm not worried about that. The only area that I'm a little concerned about is some of these, like, when he's trying to throw a ball over the top of the defense and he's trying to, you know, trying to, like... There's nobody between a defender and and a touchdown, and he's throwing it over safeties. I think he's been really inconsistent this year, and we talked about this. Um, I think his first seven attempts, where he tried to go over the top of the entire defense, he it was incomplete, and we saw a lot of missed opportunities down the field this week as well. So um, there does seem to like it. Kind of sounds almost like it shouldn't be true, but I feel like some of these some of the deep throws that he's been you know struggling to make you know, that's, that's a reality of what his game is. Now the arm talent doesn't mean he doesn't have arm talent, obviously, because he's slinging it all over the field and putting in places that have no business at being put there. But literally like some of those plays down the field over the top of the safeties, uh, there's been some struggles there.
0: Yeah. I think to start the game, the ball was coming out of his hand a little weird and I don't mean I have no way to know what it is, but some of the passes just seemed way off. They didn't seem to have a real tight spiral for him sometimes. So I don't know what happened early on. I think as the game went on, he settled in a little bit better. The ball started coming off his hand better, but it was the same thing. He was missing these deep passes, and he's missed them all year. I think Dan Fouts was absolutely one of the worst commentators I've ever heard this past weekend. (laughs) But he did say one thing that kind of struck home to me. Mahomes on some of these deep passes, especially the ones that he doesn't get to set his base in, which when he's moving, he's more than willing just to throw the ball on the move. He's throwing the ball without enough air on it, which pretty much limits him to having to be perfect in terms of accuracy. He's throwing some of these deep balls more on a line, and if you throw those a little too far, you give your receiver no chance to get underneath them. Or if it's a little right, right left, they don't have the time to run, you know, adjust their route and get underneath it. So I think he's missed throws like that all year. And these last two games he's played, he's tried to make a few of the easier throws without setting his base, something that he is obviously mm-hmm. capable of doing. But it's almost like he's starting to feel more confident in his ability to do it. And it's resulted in some, a couple bad plays these last two games he's played in. So he just needs to clean that back up again like he had at the beginning of the year. And I'm not worried about the deep balls. They're going to come. He obviously is very good at throwing them. He just needs to make sure when he has the time that he's getting his base set and just gives a little bit more air under some of these deep ones and let his guys get underneath it rather than trying to put it in the exact perfect spot every time.
1: Yeah I I'm going to jump in real yeah, I'm going to jump in real quick real, real quick just because I you are right on the base and the thing that like it's almost like it's cyclical with him on some of these easy throws like he'll be good and he'll be clean and you know he'll he'll get all these easy completions and then you're right it's just it's almost like cyclical like he almost needs to self correct like every little bit because he gets lazy with this ba- I mean it's just I think it's just lazy and confidence and you you're right it's just it's it's almost just like there's every, I don't know, six games almost, like he has to correct some of that stuff just to get it back going. Sorry, go No,
2: no, you're good. I don't really have a ton to add other than the fact that – how weird is it that of all the things that we're talking about uh, the most kind of uh, that Pat needs to clean up, I think we can all look at it and go, yeah, his deep accuracy is struggling. Uh, if, if we, <laughs> oh, if we I would have said Absolutely. that at the beginning of the year, how bizarre is that? But. Yeah, now he he's thrown a couple interceptable balls lately. Stuff he needs to clean up, but it's also stuff that he's trying to make happen. And if you try and nerf some of that, you're going to lose some of the magic stuff that he can do with it. So mm-hmm. it's going to be one of those things we're going to have to roll with a little bit.
0: And quickly back in right, here. And I, th- I think. Oh, with the, sorry, yeah, go. I think with the deep ball thing too. It's not even just deep passes. He's completed plenty of deep passes over 15, 20 yards, whatever you mm-hmm. want to make the cutoff. But if you look at just... That's not deep for Pat. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, like, it's basically yeah. not deep for Pat, now. Right. He's the opposite of what Alex Smith was last year. And i don't I'm trying to start a debate between the two. But Alex Smith was phenomenal last year of throwing the three to five step drop, you know, 25 yard pass with a ton of air, just getting it out in front of his receivers. Mm-hmm. Pat's success right now is rifling the ball in there on deep comebacks or corner routes or digs and stuff like that rather than the deep go routes that's what he's missing right now are the balls up over the top of the defense not just deep passing because he's good with those right it's just getting the ball over everybody he's either throwing it too far or he's under thrown a few as well the the so yeah I the think, home run I think, balls oh go yeah. craig Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, yeah. Alex was definitely like just layups and and three pointers. Like that was his kind of game. There was no middle ground, and he wasn't doing much in between there. I don't even want to call what Mahomes is doing mid range because that's not fair to him. I think what Mahomes is struggle with like some of these deep passes is he's stuck between driving a ball and trying to lay like give like trying to get it give a guy a chance to run underneath it. Like he doesn't have that happy medium. So like he can he can fit a ball and and drive it with ease. Doesn't work on some of these vertical plays because your margin of error gets reduced. But he also it struggles to figure out like when he tries to when he tries to give a guy a ball to run underneath, he underthrows it. Like it's 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 a he'll figure it out and it'll take time. But I mean, it is something you want to see you know more consistently uh, at Charlie Boy International. Daryl Williams didn't get any run, and with guys coming in to work out, it doesn't seem like he's going to get a chance. Why keep him on the roster if he can't uh, even be used in a scenario like that?
0: So this was something that bothered me after the game, as soon as I saw we were bringing in CJ Anderson and West and everything. But simply, this is what I think happened. He's on the roster because they do think another team would pick him up off their practice squad. They think he's good enough for that. They think he showed that he's good enough for that. So they want him on the team going forward. I think this particular game, you have to realize he's probably at best running the scout team during the normal week of practice, during the bye week leading up to Friday this past week. All of a sudden, he's now implementing the Chiefs actual game plan as a rookie. Running back is not necessarily a hard position to figure out for the NFL, but when you have two guys that have played in the NFL in this system, have been getting actual reps in this system, not like on the scout team, it becomes a little bit difficult to put him in over them so I think these next couple games will be telling if he still isn't getting any snaps by against the Ravens or against the Chargers after that then you start to worry about why they wasted a roster spot on a guy that they don't think is ready to play in this kind of scenario but until then I think you just have to chalk it up to a lack of practice time given the timing and the amount of snaps they can give a guy during the week. Yeah, I'll be
2: curious to see. Uh, the Kind of the way that Charkandrick West was put on the depth chart today was as the fourth running back behind Darrell Williams. So we'll see which one of those guys is inactive come Sunday against the Ravens there. If it is West and West is just really being brought in here as a guy who knows the system, can be a scout team guy, can give special teams reps if he has to be active, and then just as a morale booster for that locker room after that offense, you know, lost a guy that, they, that they've that they been practicing with. If he's just here for that purpose, then I think that we will start to see Darrell Williams get more and more integrated into the offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you got to remember, they chose... I mean, there was some financial decisions around this, but they did choose Darrell Williams over Sharkandrick West back then. So, you know, I, I do think that they like his upside as a runner. Uh, I think it's just... it's I think it's just he'll get his opportunity eventually um and i we'll see we'll see what happens moving forward but i i do think shark west is just here to to be a good kind of morale booster in depth and a guy that knows everything also Uh, realistically what's
0: realistically what's west's role on the team is he a better third down back than what spencer ware or damian williams have been this year
2: no no
0: like so that was his entire (laughs) purpose as of last year and i don't mean to minimalize what he is as a player. But I mean, like that was his role last year. He was let go, and he's very good at blocking, and he's a decent receiver. Very good. But when it, Ware has been great at blocking. Damian Williams knows what he's doing in pass blocking is also very good. And I think both are proving to be just as good, if not better receivers. So what purpose is West gonna do for the team if he's put in there, unless you think he's a better pure runner than Daryl Williams, who I don't see how one would think that, and that's even basing it just off a preseason film of Daryl Williams.
1: Yeah. Uh, At StuhlHawk4269, did it seem like Andy Reid was forcing the ball to Demetrius Harris? Seemed without Hunt and Watkins, he became more of a target. I do not think he was forcing the ball necessarily to Demetrius Harris. Um, I think the opportunities just came to him because there is less talent on the field with Kareem Hunt and Sammy Watkins not being on the field right now. So I think it was just opportunity presented itself. I don't think they're really focusing on getting Demetrius involved.
0: Yeah, I think that people forget how good of an athlete Demetrius Harris is. He's a mismatch. You can't put a safety and a linebacker or a corner and a linebacker on Travis Kelsey and still have another one of those kind of hybrid good tight end defenders to put on Demetrius Harris. So he's got a good mismatch versus bad linebackers. He's going to get some targets in that situation. And you combine the fact with they're missing two playmakers now. And you did start to see in this game again, as you saw earlier with Denver, without Sammy Watkins, who else is beating tight coverage for the Chiefs besides Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? It's just not happening. So when they went out of their way to shut down Hill, Conley got the touchdown. Robinson had the big you know play right before half but these guys aren't consistently getting open. Harris is a guy that can consistently get open. They did scheme him open a few times, but he can beat a linebacker plenty often that's playing man coverage on him. So it was just a good matchup for him. And without walking, somebody else has to beat the coverage. And he happened to be the guy that was doing it the best.
2: Yeah, the Raiders linebackers are not good. And so they can't, matchup when the Chiefs go 12 personnel and have both Travis Kelsey and Demetrius Harris on the field you know they've got to roll safety help over Tyree Kill and then the other safety's got to be on Travis Kelsey Travis Kelsey had a day because they were so focused on Tyree Hill. then if you're having to p- rotate a little extra help towards Travis Kelsey bring in that other tight end on the field he's going to beat up on a linebacker all day long he was just i think he was just the open man more often and pat saw it and was able to work to him
1: uh at larry mccammon asks what's the most bizarre thing you've ever eaten
2: okay so i eat everything so th- this was a little bit That's why I
1: wanted that's why I wanted you to go uh, first. It's a
2: little <laughs> tough for me because you know people say like oh crickets or you know alligator you know, octopus whatever the case may be those aren't all that exotic of things but so I settled on probably steak poop. tartare <laughs> no not poop steak tartare a <laughs> uh, raw steak with a raw egg cracked over it eat that I I've had it a couple times it's uh it's interesting I wouldn't say it's good but it's interesting <laughs>
0: Does drinking a raw egg like Rocky count as a bizarre thing to eat?
1: Yes, if it gets you to not explain anything else.
0: <laughs> no, just real quick, I have I would consider octopus a bizarre thing to eat. I did have it, didn't like it, had like three, four bites, it wasn't for me. That would probably be I love foods from everywhere, all around the world, but like once you start getting into super weird, bizarre stuff or like what most people in America consider bizarre, I kinda get out on textures of food.
1: I'm I'm a texture guy too. Um Craig, uh I thought you were going to be weirder than this. Uh I had I had I had uh steak tartare as well. Oh. And I thought it was bizarre. But here I can I think I could one up you. Ooh. I had I had steak tartare and escargot in the same sitting. Oh, okay. Fair enough.
0: It was escargot's I, not that I weird. Up, though, right? See, I don't think that's bizarre.
1: Oh, snails? Yeah. You don't
2: think a snail is weird? No. They're good.
0: <laughs> oh. Oh, it's wait, like if no. a mushroom was a an bug. Answer. The last time I was in Kansas City, I went to a barbecue restaurant and ordered a fried chicken sandwich. <laughs> I think that definitely counts as the most bizarre thing I've ever eaten.
1: No, it's not bizarre. It's just Delicious uh at John at Corovo John if you could only pay one player at the end of the season who would you resign Alan Bailey D Ford Spencer Ware Chris Conley or Mitch Morse I am pulling D Ford because we know the answer to that one so <laughs> who if you could pay one player Alan Bailey Spencer Ware Chris Conley or Mitch Morse I'm paying no one I'm letting them all walk
0: Ooh, yeah D Ford is clearly the answer to this question um yes So, pull D4. Yeah, okay. So, Mitch Morse, I don't think you can give him a long-term contract. Just these concussions keep happening. And he's also had foot issues. But the concussion thing just really worries me. Losing this much time to a concussion playing offensive line, it's going to happen again, I think. It's almost a guarantee playing that position. So, can't do it. Can't sign him up long-term. Chris Conley, I could see him being really cheap. And I could also see a team overpaying him just based on the physical traits. I don't think... Burt Wilson. Huh? Albert Wilson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't see him as somebody that's irreplaceable. I think they already have an equal on the roster to him, so he's not my answer. Alan Bailey's having a great year. Again, I I think based on his last contract, if he's willing to take a substantial pay cut to stay here because he likes it, he would be my choice just based on the year he's had. And we've talked about it. The Chiefs defense doesn't have a leader. Bailey's not really a loud rah-rah guy. But he's been here. He's been here a long time. People respect him. So I think based on that, he would probably be my best answer.
2: Yeah. Uh, Spencer Ware, I suppose you could consider that with the Chiefs needing a running back. We talked about that a little bit earlier. You want to see a little more out of Spencer Ware before the end of the year because you want to see a little more explosiveness, a little more dynamic ability out of him to really count on him to be the guy that you want to pay to to go forward rather than going out and trying to draft a younger guy and kind of cycle through running back so i'm probably alan bailey as well it gives you a little more freedom in the draft you don't have to necessarily target another defensive lineman as a playmaker sort of guy you can have a guy like alan bailey to come in and rotate with chris jones and Derek naughty and form
1: a nice little trio there Matt Kiefer Young 6 asks, who should the Chiefs target in the draft and who should they target in free agency? I want to go, just give me a position for the draft and a position for the free agency real quick.
0: So in the draft, the Chiefs need some form of secondary help. I don't care if it's corner or safety. I don't think it's their first round pick, but I think they need secondary help. They need it desperately. The safety play is abysmal. The corner play is trending downwards this year, and I don't think that anybody's going to be back from that group that's starting right now, besides Kendall Fuller. So I think secondary, one hundred percent.
2: Yeah, the holes are definitely on secondary, but it's it's edge for me. They got to have a guy to get that flexibility.
1: In, in the draft, you mean? Yes, in the draft. Yeah. So yeah, I think I'd go. I think I'd go edge in the draft, and then in free agency. Uh, I'd probably add a secondary piece. Just I think that makes too much sense. Just can, yeah, you gotta you gotta really overhaul that secondary good, and keep Ron Parker. It's a good safety Far class. away from King it's City. a
2: good safety class in free agency. Something to consider. No, there you so, go.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, let's do you it. Go. shell out the money. Uh, Adrian Amos, come on down. Yep, yep. I'm here for it.
1: Pay him. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Uh, at last question at a pits fourteen. Where do you guys stand on second chances, and how does the Kareem situation compare to Tyreek and others, mainly Joe Mixon?
2: Well, I, I'm going to take it from the Chiefs' point of view here, so I, I'm I'm looking at it through Tyreek because they were they weren't looking at Joe Mixon from what we understand. So from a Tyreek perspective, Tyreek was a guy who did something unfathomable that's going to follow him around for the rest of his life. And he didn't try and shy away from it. He owned up to it. He pled guilty. He went to counseling. He tried to make himself a better person. Tried to make himself a good father for that child. And time heals wounds, obviously. He is now engaged to that woman that that incident occurred with. The Chiefs did due diligence... After some time had passed, that's the difference between all of this. Tyreek was able to own up to his mistake, do take the necessary actions before he became a member of the Chiefs. Tyreek got kicked off of his football team at Oklahoma State and had to go find another one. The Chiefs are in that early stage with Kareem Hunt here, he's kicked off if he shows. True remorse, he tries to make himself a better person, he's absolutely worth a second chance if a guy like Tyreek Hill, if a guy like Joe Mixon is worth a second chance in this this league.
0: Yeah, I'm very big on second chances when it comes to professional athletes. I think since they're put in the limelight, they're put on this pedestal as if they're supposed to be better humans than everybody else, and I get the argument for that, but at the same time, some of these guys, it really is just a job for them. Just like some people go to a bank is their job. Some people run numbers. Some people do this or that. This is a job for some guys. So to put them on a pedestal to say you have to be better than everybody else just because other people watch you do your job, I don't think it's fair. But when you're getting the second chance, you do. it's a gut feeling thing for the person getting to make that decision you talk to Tyree Kill a couple years after his incident or Joe Mixon a couple years after his incident and you really feel talking to them that they are sorry for what they did, they understand why it was bad, they're trying to be a better person because of it and after it, then you give them the second chance. If you're talking to Kareem Hunt all offseason, giving him multiple chances to come clean about it and you just keep getting report after report of this is happening again and again and then you find out he's lying to you about the biggest incident... You can't, there's just. There's no level of trust you can have right now. That gut feeling that you have to rely on at this point in time is gone. You can't give him that second chance with your organization at that point. The trust is gone. There's no way that you can ever believe him again at that point in time. He might go off and next year, the year after, he could be in counseling. He could improve himself. He could do things to make himself a better human being. And some other team is going to have the same interview process. It's going to be the same thing. They're going to sit down with him. They're going to trust their gut to figure out, is he Tyree Kill? Is he really better? Or is he Greg Hardy and he's just trying to get back in the NFL to get another paycheck? That's a decision they're going to have to make based on their personal interactions with him. And it's something as a fan you don't really get a pass judgment on unless you think everybody that ever does something poorly should not get to participate in a job without a second chance.
1: Right and I think for I think second chances are a wonderful thing because I think for some people it allows perspective and it helps provide something that is really hard for some people to completely understand and I think the turnaround for from a second chance can be one of the most wonderful things that can happen to to not a player necessarily but it, absolutely the player but also the human being and um you know I think um, some people take advantage of those opportunities and and are able to to create accountability for their self for themselves that extends beyond football and it extends to their life. Um, and I I know it's it's kind of you know sometimes second chances aren't always on the football field, but sometimes the reward for you know working through things and and responding in a in a positive way is getting to play you know st- another chance in the National Football League. So. You know, I I do believe in second chances. I think they're important for people. And I think as long as people are holding themselves accountable after the fact, something Kareem Hunt failed miserably in the last six months of his life. And probably I'm not going to speculate, but it's probably an issue beyond just what we know. And uh, I hope that he uses this opportunity to to redeem himself uh as a human being and obviously as a football player that is it for us on this show thank you guys so much for listening we will talk to you again next week
2: hello you're listening to simone deroche for one of the hosts of the polygon show It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.